0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Money on a Mission. Today's episode 12, and we're gonna talk about debt, lending, and taxes. Let's get started. With all the challenges money brings, how can we manage our finances in a way that aligns with our values? To answer this question, I've looked to mentors, books, and most importantly, the Bible. Join me as we seek to glorify God and love others in the way we manage our finances. This is Money on a Mission. All right, welcome back. Guys, today we are on episode 12, which again means we're getting close to the end of season one. Only four more left after this. So if you haven't yet, make sure you listen to all of them from the beginning and definitely take this episode and share it with a friend. The best way that we can make any impact with this is if you guys are sharing it with people you know and sharing it with people who you think it can impact. So... If it's had any impact on you, which I really hope and pray that it has, that's my prayer every time, then definitely turn around and share it with somebody else who you think it could impact as well. Can't tell you how much I appreciate it when you do that. All right, with that, let's get right into it. We're going to talk about debt, the flip side of debt, lending, and then we'll touch a little bit at the end on taxes. So debt, this is a very charged subject. Really, there's two extremes. The first is, eh, charge now, pay it later. In America, the average debt on just credit cards alone is over $6,000. And then when you add in home mortgage, car loans, student debt, the average jumps to over $90,000. And that is a lot considering the average income is only $68,000. That means the average American has more debt than they do in annual income. And that can put a serious cost on the family. Then on the other extreme, you have the avoid debt at any cost. This is Dave Ramsey saying, you got to run, cut up your credit cards, always buy cars with cash, never go out to eat. It costs too much and it's going to charge up your debt. So somewhere between these two extremes or maybe on either end, let's figure out what the Bible says. First off, we need to look at the cost of taking on debt. And the Bible says here that debt costs you your freedom. It makes you a slave to the lender and it takes away your options. So first, debt puts you at the mercy of the lender. The most famous verse on this is Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. If you owe money, you don't have the freedom to use your money the way God calls you to. You're a slave to the lender and you trade your freedom for indebtedness. When money comes into your life, it has to go right back out paying off the debt that you have because you spent before you earned. So if you wanna give, save, invest, you might not be able to because your money is already spoken for because you're obligated to pay off that debt. Meaning if God calls you to some mission with that money, you want to apply the lessons we've talked about so far, you might not be able to. All right. Another verse less well-known, but with a very similar takeaway is Habakkuk 2 verses 6 through 7. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. So, just like that first verse, the Bible tells us that there is a significant cost for debt. When taking on debt, we need to be highly sensitive to the cost that it puts on us, and that cost is our freedom. Okay, the second thing that debt costs you is it limits your options. There's a great passage on this in Nehemiah. In this story, Israel is facing a famine, and Nehemiah 5 verses 2 through 5 compares the situation of three different families with regard to how they use debt to navigate the famine. It says, For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. In this story, there are three cases. First, if able, buy food. There are those who have plenty, and they say we will buy food to survive the famine. The second is those who don't have the option to buy food. They're in need, they're in famine, and they're starving. So they leverage their property, they take on debt, and provide for the famine. The third option is those who are already in debt. And then when there comes a need, they have no options left. And their only way of survival is to sell themselves into slavery. So they give up everything just to survive because of the debt that was already on their family. The first two had options. One was able to provide without debt, The other was able to provide by taking on debt, but the third had no options at all. And this is just awful. Look at that last verse there. It is not in our power to help it. Because of the debt that they already owed, they had no power left, no freedom left, and it cost them everything. So, knowing the cost, what should we do about it? What should we do with regard to debt? In general, it's better not to have any at all. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. With no debt, you have the freedom to do what God asks you with the money he has trusted you to manage. You can love others, you can pursue God's plans, you can go on the mission he has for you and do all of it without the chains of debt holding you back. Let's look at another verse, Proverbs 22, 26-27. Be not one of those who give pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? So again, it's better to not have any debt, because if for some reason you aren't able to pay, you could lose everything, even the bed that you sleep on. So that leads us to the next point. If faced with taking on debt, consider the cost. You're giving up your freedom, so it needs to be worth it. Remember that story in Nehemiah, the second family chose to take on debt to provide for the family. Based on the verses we've read so far, it was probably a really costly decision, and the family might have suffered a lot of stress afterwards. But they probably survived the famine. So it does exist as a last resort, a very costly last resort, but an option nonetheless. Now, don't take that lightly. It is incredibly costly. Costs us our freedom, takes away our options, could make us a slave to the lender and a slave to that debt. So while it does exist as a last resort, it is better to have no debt at all, just like we read in Romans. All right, next with regards to what we should do regarding debt. Do not put up security for a neighbor. This is a unique case, but it actually shows up surprisingly often in the Bible. Before we read the verses, the term put up security means to offer your own credit to back the debt of someone else. Today, we might call this co-signing a loan. If the primary borrower doesn't pay, then you are obligated to pay. So, let's look at some verses. Proverbs 11:15. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. So this one says, do not put up security for a stranger. I don't really know who would do this or co-sign a loan for somebody they don't know, but if you ever find yourself in this case, don't do it. Now that's obviously a very specific situation, but if we take the same concept and apply it slightly differently to somebody that we do know, then the same lesson could still apply. Let's look at another verse, Proverbs 17, 18. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. So this one says neighbor. How about one more? Proverbs 6 verses 1 through 5. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the word of your mouth or caught in the word of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. This one says that in either case, stranger or neighbor, hurry and do whatever you can to escape from the hand of whoever you have put up the security for. In all these verses, the lesson is clear. If we are so careful to avoid debt for ourselves, we should be even more careful to avoid taking on the debt of others. So to wrap up this section, avoid debt whenever you can. It's better to have none. However, if you're in need, debt can be a last resort for you, but really, really consider the cost. It costs you your freedom, costs you your options. Finally, don't put up security for a stranger or even for a neighbor. All right, after all this, if you do end up in that last resort and you have taken on debt, what should you do? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Pay it off. Psalms 37.21 says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Don't be wicked. Pay back what you owe. If you took on debt, pay it off. We'll get into some of the specific techniques on how to do that in a little bit. Now, let's jump into the application of this into our lives today. We should be careful to avoid debt whenever possible and only use it when we're in need. So, what about credit cards, car loans, student loans, mortgages? Let's look at each one individually. First, credit cards. These are normally used to fuel spending. This is consumer debt and should definitely be avoided. We'll talk more about spending in the next episode on how to buy what we need and not buy what we don't need, but this is something that we can definitely control and does not need to be fueled with debt. This is where Dave Ramsey would tell you to cut up all your credit cards and use cash or credit cards for everything. I don't personally do that, but I think it all depends on how well you know yourself. We and my family use credit cards for a number of reasons. It provides a little bit more security in case of fraud or identity theft as opposed to a debit card. It provides coverage and insurance on purchases like rental cars and other things. It builds up credit history, which isn't really important if you don't ever plan on taking on debt, but can come in handy for a few cases where you might like a home mortgage. And on top of this, we get rewards points and benefits that have helped us pay for travel and other things like that. So that's why we personally use credit cards, but it's a judgment call. We pay ours off every two weeks and have never carried a balance on it. By starting small and learning that we could do that, we've learned that it's a personal decision and for us, a credit card is fine, but it's not a means of taking on debt. It's just a means of doing our monthly budgeted spending that we pay off every two weeks. However, for some people, credit cards can be a huge temptation. If you don't track your expenses and you tend to spend more than you can afford and just swipe and not think about it, then maybe cut them up. Maybe cash in envelopes is the best thing for you. Learn how to discipline your spending, which again, we'll talk about next time, and get rid of those credit cards and that temptation for debt. All right, what about car loans? This is another one that we should avoid if we can. Cars perform a basic function and don't let that basic function cost you your freedom in the form of debt. As with anything, weigh the costs. Maybe there's a case where it makes sense. If it's an affordable car, that's key, it's an affordable car, one that you could pay off right away if you needed to, but you had other plans for the money while you paid off over time, you got the right financing. I don't know, I'm not gonna speak to every situation. Just make sure that you weigh the cost and try to avoid the debt whenever possible. If you can buy a car with cash, do it. Next, student loans. Education is super important. The Bible tells us to seek wisdom. Remember Proverbs 23, 23, buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. So education is a great thing and worth spending money on. But colleges are getting more and more expensive. So is a degree from a specific university worth the years and years of debt payments? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Especially with trends today towards online education, the value of education never changes, but the value of a degree may have more or less importance depending on what you want to do and how you want to get there. There are still some things where a four-year degree from the prestigious university carries a ton of weight. In a lot of situations though, you can get by just fine and even pursue your dreams better without the debt from that education and get the education somewhere else, maybe a more affordable college or with online classes or some other means. The education is incredibly important, but consider the cost before taking on debt to pay for it. Even if it's kind of become the norm in this country, there are other ways to do it. So if it makes sense, buy wisdom, buy knowledge, buy education, but if there's a way to do it without debt, look into every means possible before falling back on that last resort. Okay, the last specific application, a home mortgage. Like in all cases, avoid debt if you can, weigh the cost if you need it. But houses are one thing that have become so expensive, it's incredibly difficult for people to afford buying a house with cash. Not impossible, definitely preferred, but very difficult. So a mortgage might fall under a category of taking on the weight of debt to provide for the need. In that case, Be practical in the way you approach it. Don't just use a blanket 30-year mortgage to buy something that you shouldn't, that will cripple your monthly cash flow. Buy something that will be affordable to your monthly cash flow and stick within your budget. People have all kinds of references for this. One popular one is the 28% rule. A mortgage should be 28% of your monthly income. I think that's a bit high. We should try to find housing that's less than that, but it depends on where you live, family situation, multiple things. There are definitely places in the country where 28% of your income would put you in a shack. If that's the case, maybe move. I don't know, do what makes sense for you and listen to the Lord and how he leads you to spend your money. But don't just use the mortgage because it exists as a way to buy something you shouldn't afford. As with anything, weigh the costs. Debt can take away your freedom, so don't give it up lightly. All right, whether from any of those examples or something else, what if you have debt? How should we pay it off? Well, we already read we should do whatever we can to free ourselves from it. Usually the cost of paying off debt is less than the cost of owning the debt. Once you factor in those things like freedom and your options being taken away. When my wife and I first got married, we bought a car that was way more than we needed and we used a loan to do it. I loved it. That thing was awesome. But when we started to learn more about finances and the cost of the debt, we made the tough decision to sell it and pay off the loan and then bought a super cheap car using cash. It was a tough decision, but so worth it. The freedom of not having the debt payment and not having the concern of damaging that car that I then didn't own was so worth driving that cheaper, less fancy car. And I'd go back and redo that decision over and over again. So if you can eliminate debt by doing something like that, do it. If not though, still try to pay it off as soon as you can. Take a look at your budget, find ways to boost your debt payments and make those payments as big as you can to chip away at that debt little by little. Make every effort to get rid of the debt that is costing you your freedom. But don't forget the first two steps we've already talked about. Continue to give first. Continue to save second. Then, third, pay off that debt. There's a famous book called The Richest Man in Babylon by George Classen. It's not the Bible, just a well-known source of financial advice. The author is a big advocate of saving. He says, pay yourself first or commit thy purse to fattening. If in debt, he suggests you live on 70%. Save 10%, pay off your debt with 20 I like this technique, but I would add, give 10% first. Last episode, we said we should save 20%, but then this technique says, if paying off debt, only 10%. Why the difference? Well, remember, these are just techniques. Even the example of Joseph in the Bible, saving 20% was an example that worked out well, but not necessarily a directive. Regardless, saving and paying off debt have the same effect on your net worth. One adds to the positive, the other takes away from the negative. So, using some of that 20% for savings to go towards paying off debt is really using it towards the same goal. So, why not use all of your savings to pay off debt? Because savings, just like we talked about last time, keep you prepared in the event of some other need. If you pay off all your debt but don't have any savings and then another need arises, your only option is to go back into debt. With savings ready, you can handle need without taking on new debt to stay on track and paying off that other debt. So, still save while you're paying off debt, but use as much as you can to get that debt down to zero. All that to say, this is one good technique when trying to maximize your debt payment. Give 10%, save 10%, pay your debt with 20%. When paid off, continue to give 10%, but then you can up that saving to 20%. The extra 10% can go into spending as a reward for paying off your debt or whatever else God calls you to use it for. Let's wrap it up on debt. The first thing we need to know is that debt is incredibly costly. It takes away our freedom, it takes away our options. So when faced with a decision, consider the cost. If you do take on debt as a last resort, definitely pay it off and do so as quickly as you can. Remember that technique that we talked about, but whatever the fit is for you, find it, stick to it, stay disciplined, and get that debt down to zero. All right, let's flip the tables and look at the other side of the coin. If we should avoid debt, Then what about the lenders? What about the banks, credit unions, investors, fund managers who issue mortgages, business loans, and personal loans? This is a massive portion of our economy, and there's big business in issuing loans. Basically, one party loans out the money, the lender, and the other party, the debtor, pays it back and adds interest. So the lender makes money from the interest, and the debtor has the money they need for their home, business, investment, or whatever they're taking out that loan for. So it can seem mutually beneficial. But if we should avoid debt, then is what they're doing wrong? Let's look at what the Bible says. Basically, what we're going to find is that lending is fine, but the charging of interest is something that brings up a bit of contention. The bottom line is, be careful. Even charging interest is not explicitly prohibited, but there are a few catches that you need to watch out for. Now, let's look at some of those verses. Psalm 15.5 says, He who does not put out his money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. So basically, if you don't lend out your money at interest, you won't get into any trouble. Leaving us to infer that lending out money at interest can get you in trouble. So, if you do, what are the things to watch out for? It mostly depends on a few characteristics of the debtor. First, if the debtor is poor, we should be careful in charging interest. Exodus 22:25 says, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. So if the loan is something that the debtor needs, then this is an opportunity for charity, not business. Help somebody, loan them what they need, or give, but don't use someone's need and poverty as an opportunity for extortion and profit. Okay, next, let's look at Deuteronomy 24, 10 through 13. When you make your neighbor a loan of any sort, you shall not go into his house and collect a pledge. You shall stand outside, and the man to whom you make the loan shall bring the pledge out to you. If he is a poor man, then you shall not sleep in his pledge. You shall restore to him the pledge as the sun sets, that he may go to sleep in his cloak and bless you, and it shall be righteous for you before the Lord your God. So if you make a loan, be righteous and loving towards the debtor. Don't go demanding payment, knocking on the door, repossessing his things. Be patient, be kind, and let the debtor make payments as he's able. If a debtor is poor and unable to pay, then forgive him the loan. All right, second if a debtor is family. Let's look at Deuteronomy 23, 19, and 20. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. This one's pretty straightforward. You may not charge interest on a loan to your brother, but you may charge interest on a loan to a foreigner. Let's look at one more on this. Deuteronomy 15, 1-3. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release, and this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. The first part of this verse refers to a practice of forgiving debt every seven years, but the key that we're looking at here is in the second part. Do not extract the loan from your neighbor, but you may extract it from a foreigner. So both of these verses tell us that we should not seek profit from a loan made to a brother or a neighbor. So with all that, that puts two restrictions on the charging of interest. Don't charge interest to the poor. Don't charge interest to your brother or neighbor. Now, how you define those things could vary wildly. That's why I said at the beginning, just be careful. What about the mortgage that pays for a house that the debtor can't really afford? Is that charging interest to the poor? Or what about the local credit union that gives out loans in a small community? Is that charging interest to your neighbor? I don't know. I really think that's between the lender and God. So if you're in that situation, seek him out in prayer. Determine if the loans that you're issuing are really blessing the people that you're loaning to or if it's burdening them. Is the interest really creating a mutually beneficial agreement or is it putting somebody in bondage? That's something that you just would need to think about carefully and again, seek out in prayer. All right, when things do line up, however, loans and interest can create some great opportunities. Let's say an entrepreneur gets a loan to launch a business that in turn changes lives for the better. It's the interest that entrepreneur pays on the loan that incentivized the lender to support her. Or the family who buys an affordable, appropriate home that then puts a roof over their head. Again, the interest they pay on that incentivized the bank to give the loan and the loan allowed them to buy that family house. So lending can be a blessing if done properly. As with every step that we've covered, money just needs to be in its proper place and actions need to be taken in line with the way that God leads you in your spirit. All right, this has been a long one so far, but let's hit one more topic, taxes. This should be pretty quick because Jesus' only mention of it is pretty quick. The story is covered in Matthew 22, Mark 12, and Luke 20. I'll read it from Matthew. Here's chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they marveled, and they left him and went away. For the Pharisees who tried to trap him with this question, this was a big deal. They're going to get him. It's a sticky subject, and they're going to make him slip and say something that could get him in trouble. Jesus almost seems to shrug it off. He says, yeah, pay your taxes. It's not that big a deal. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. More importantly, render to God what is God's. He directs it right back to God. It's not about paying taxes or the money. Life is about serving God and loving others. All right, for a little more explanation of the reasoning behind what he says, you can look to Romans 13. Verse 1 says, Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Then in verses 6-7, through For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So, pay your taxes. Whether you feel like your government is using them in the best way possible, or even in a moral way, we should still pay out of respect for the authority because the authority comes from God. That doesn't mean that everybody uses their authority for the right things, but the authority in itself comes from God because God has a bigger plan that we don't necessarily see. And he might be working out something good, even if on earth somebody uses authority for bad. So, regardless of what you think of the authority, we still should pay our taxes out of respect for the Lord. Now, Jesus doesn't say render to Caesar all that you can. He says render to Caesar what is Caesar's. So you're obligated to pay what you owe in taxes, but you're not obligated to pay more than you owe. So know the tax codes. If you're entitled to a cut or a deduction, take it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing to know the laws and act in accordance with them. And if you can find ways to do that that benefits you, then that's fine. Don't let taxes be a controversial subject for you. Know what you owe and then pay what you owe. Again, Jesus seems to almost shrug with this question. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah, pay your taxes. Don't let that be a stumbling point for you. Now, I recognize that it might feel like a stumbling point for some. Taxes can be quite burdensome and cost a lot. But again, remember that the authority comes from God and out of respect for him and the authority that he gives, we still should pay them and find a way to make sure that we do. Okay, in conclusion, everything that we talked about so far. Debt is not necessarily evil or wrong, but comes with an incredibly heavy cost, so carefully consider it before you use it. And if you have any, seek to pay it off as quickly as you can. Lending. There can definitely be mutually beneficial business deals when lending at interest, but be careful. Do not take advantage of the poor or your neighbor through that interest. And taxes? Pay what you owe. Don't let it be a big issue for you. So, combining all those steps with what we've previously established. When we earn money and we receive money that God trusts us to manage, step one is give 10%. Step two, save 20%. Step three, pay off your debts. And step four, pay your taxes. That leads us right into the next step, spending. And that's what we're going to cover next time. Until then, if you want more from Money on a Mission, make sure you subscribe so you get the new episodes when they launch. Also, add a rating and a review. A five-star rating does a ton to boost this podcast so it can reach more people. Next, head to the website, moneyonamissionpodcast.com. You can find show notes with all the verses we covered and more, and find a place to enter your email so you can join the newsletter. Third, I'd love to engage with you on Instagram. My username is Ned Kingman. Like and comment or shoot me a message if you have any questions about things we've covered on the show. Finally, and most importantly, just like I said at the beginning, please share this podcast. The best way for this message to spread is from you sharing it with your friends. Let's work together to make sure we can impact as many people as possible and change the way our generation manages money. I hope and I pray that you've been blessed through this episode, and I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, glorify God, love others, and always manage your money on a mission.